Hello, and welcome back to The Give and Go. I'm your co-host, Reynoso, here with my boy. Soltero, what's up, guys? We have a fun episode planned for you folks today because lately I've been keeping up with the top leagues in Europe, and really, when you think about it, there's only one really close race, which is within the Premier League with Liverpool, yeah. Arsenal, Man City going at it. One, two-point difference. It's really exciting to see, but in the rest, we're starting to see some gaps be created, dude. And so for this week, I, I prompted you and the whole Give and Go crew, and I said, I want to do a shoot where we talk about the closest title races in all of world football happening right now. It doesn't matter how big the league is. It doesn't matter how small the league is. We can go anywhere we want in the world as long as it's a close title race. So, brother, I want to hand this off to you first. Where do you want to take us and the viewers first in this journey of world football in search of the closest title races? Well, before we get into it, I just want to say this is a really fun prompt. And I would love to know what the viewers think as yep, well. Like, what yep. leagues are they watching? What leagues are they excited about outside of the top five in Europe? And, you know, in doing research, I found some really exciting mid-tier European leagues that have some really interesting title races going on. South American leagues are just kind of revamping, getting started, so there's not much going down going on down there. Central America, what, Herediano's top of Costa Rica, nothing new there. Didian Ken <laughs> is top of the Nicaraguan League, nothing yeah, new yeah, there. Yeah. Marathon, I believe, is on top of Honduran League, nothing new there. And so I had to, you know, <laughs> look at some interesting places to uh, to really look at. But I'm really curious to see what you end up coming up with. But first, I'm curious to see what you end uh, up coming up and with. And we'll get there. <laughs> we'll definitely get there. But I want to start off with a question. And I want to open up to you and also the viewers at home. When you're looking at all the top leagues in Europe, you know, La Liga, mm -hmm. Premier League, Bundesliga on ESPN, do you ever ask yourself, What's going on in Algeria? No, never, never even bothered. No. And here's what's crazy. This isn't even a hypothetical question. I have a problem because <laughs> every single time I'm looking at La Liga or Premier League, I end up clicking on the Algeria tab and just taking a gander at their league table every single time. And it's been happening for the last two, three years. And finally, because of this prompt, I asked myself, I was like, why do I do this every single time? And I think there's two reasons. One, alphabetical advantage it's right yep, there it's right there a, I see a it for algeria but secondly but, but you click on it dude that's the thing i see I it all know. the time i don't <laughs> click on it dude why would i do that to myself i know no i know exactly i i don't know why other than i think i really like how the team names sound and so i'm gonna list a couple uh, of algeria teams yeah. we have beluizdad we have oran baradu setif sfaxian there's just something about it that really tickles my brain. Yeah. This might be a very specific Soltero thing. I understand that. But yeah, Algeria, man, really interesting. And there's not much of a title race going on right over there. Well, there actually is something a little bit interesting. MC Alger, top of the league, they haven't won it in 15 years. And they have right now a nine-point gap, although second place has a game to be played to match up to Algier, so possibly a six-point mm -hmm. lead Algier have. And I was looking at the squad, they actually have some notable names, Yusuf Balayli, a an Esperance legend, shout out to them. And they have Jamal Ben Lamri, who has been called up for the Algerian national team for a long time now. So they have some notable names vying for the title there in Algeria. But yeah, nothing crazy there. But hey, maybe they bring some silverware back to Algeria. Maybe, man, maybe. 15 years is a long time. It's a long time. 15 years is a really long time. I'm wishing them the best, but I will not keep up. I will not be keeping up with the Algerian League. I can promise you that as of right now. We're <laughs> not be keeping up with it. I'll let you do that. Because
because I have my eyes set on something else. The first league that I'm going to bring to the table is actually one of the more popular leagues, one of the leagues right outside the top five that I think is really close and competitive when you look at the top two teams involved. A league that is celebrating its 100th year anniversary in existence, which I think is massive, man. And that league is Turkey. The Super League, a league that started back in 1924 and saw Fenerbahce and Galatasaray dominate it in terms of titles earned. Fenerbahce has 28 titles as of right now and Galatasaray, who are the defending champions, have 24. So it's perfectly fitting that on the 100th year anniversary of the league, the top two most successful sides are battling it out for first place at this exact moment with a crazy two-point gap, dude. It is so, so yeah. close. Galatasaray has 72 points, whereas Fenerbahce has 70 points to their name, Damn. man. It is so, so close up there. And what's crazy is the disparity between the top two teams and third place, bro. Because I want the viewers, I want the viewers right now to, to just ask yourself this question. What do you think is the point gap between second place and third place? I'll give you 10 seconds to answer. Whether you're listening to this in your car right now, five seconds of silence. Let me hear it. Mm. Yeah, okay, well, that's a good guess. Okay. Interesting. Well, I doubt it. I think I got you on this one. I think I did. I doubt that any of you said 24-point difference, man, it's because massive, that's how big bro. it is, man. It's massive. Between second and third place, and even fourth place, Besiktas, a historic club in Turkey, yeah. also has 46 points, man. I don't think I've seen something like that in a really, really long time, man. This is purely a two-horse race between Galatasaray and Fenerbahce, and I just think it's really, really entertaining to look out from an outside perspective. As I said, Galatasaray are defending champions, but Fenerbahce hasn't won it since 2014, so they're mm. looking to win it now after a 10-year drought two giants going head to head and the most exciting thing about this is that they will face off against each other one more time before the season ends the second to last match day if they win out up until that point will essentially be a game for the title bro yeah. and that rarely happens in these major major leagues so so something to keep an eye on man turkey's got something competitive going yeah it's so rare to see a big matchup be at the end of the season in what will essentially be a final if they maintain that really close race between the two because usually you'll see like City Arsenal you know in February or March Madrid Barcelona again somewhere in that third quarter of the season not at the very end so if this title race continues between Fenerbahce and Galatasaray we're gonna have a damn near final in Turkey come May time frame and hell I'll be there I'll be right there in those stands <laughs> to watch it because that's gonna be a crazy game yeah man I think that I think it's I think the potential is there if one of these teams loses on the way there, though, it could it could it could be the difference between For them sure. losing the title and winning it, man. So it's gonna get exciting. Yeah, and I do wonder on the bottom side of this gap, what has happened to Besiktas, Trabzonspor? I know Sivaspor were in the Europa mm -hmm. League a couple years ago and they made a decent run. What has happened to them? Like, was it signings that have failed them? Is everybody out of form in their clubs? Was there a huge exodus of players and they haven't been able to fill in those gaps? Because, dude, a 24-point gap is kind of pathetic at this point yeah. in the season. It's, pr it's pretty it's, bad. It's basically another division. Yeah, you know, it's like the first division is Galatasaray and Fenerbahce. The rest are yeah. competing for something else. No, straight up, man. It's kind of, it, it is crazy to see. But I mean, hey, shout out Galatasaray and Fenerbahce. They must have like really, really, uh, they must have really impressive squads. 
I asked you to bring me leagues. What league do you bring me this time around? I'm very curious. So this is going to be a wacky one. We're going to stay in the Mediterranean region. We're going to go a little south, okay? okay? And we're going to go to the Egyptian Premier League. Mm. There's not even a title race here. Not yet. The season has kind of just gotten underway, sort of. But here's where it gets crazy. When you look at this league table, and we'll have to pop it up, it's ugly. It is horrendous to look at. And I want to say this right here, right now. It is the ugliest league table that you can look at right here, right now in 2024. Damn, man. Yeah, and before I get clipped out of context or anything, I do want to make sure I'm not talking about Egypt, the people, the culture, not even the players. I'm talking about the league table specifically. It is ugly to look at. Why? Al-Ali, one of the best African teams ever, sit kind of like in mid-table right now, eighth, ninth, maybe seventh place. They've played seven matches, right? Mm -hmm. First place, which is NP, have played 14, (laughs) 14 matches. Double, double the amount that Al-Ali have played. They are playing three months into the future versus (laughs) Al-Ali. And Al-Ali is trying to catch up in time, man. It's crazy. And I I don't... I've never seen a huge disparity between matches played ever. Like, like you see it in England, right? Manchester City goes to the Club World Cup. Yeah. There's a couple of FA Cup fixtures that get in the way, right? It's like max two, maybe three. But we have a seven-match difference going on right now in Egypt. It's pretty ridiculous. But not even that. Like, there's like four teams that have played 12 games. There's like five teams that have played 13 matches. There's one team that has played 10 games. It's a mess. It's an absolute mess. But what's crazy is that if you assume Al-Ali win all their seven games and match up to first place who have played 14, they would actually have like a six-point lead. Oh, so they're comfy, they're man. They're comfy. They have a lot. They have a lot of wiggle room to play in yeah, over these fine. next seven games. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. yeah, I think they'll be fine. But that that's all due then to what Afcon and the CAF Champions League. Yeah. So several things that have really messed up the Egyptian Premier League table, especially for Al Ali, since they're so involved and so successful. Afcon obviously mm-hmm. got in the way this last month, but mainly it's been the CAF Champions League. They're usually played like on Fridays and Saturdays. So there's. Uh, precedence that's given to the Champions League and Egypt, the Egyptian Premier League respects that and they just kind of reschedule their games later on, but also the Club World Cup, right? Mm. Al-Ali's almost always involved nowadays and that takes up, what, two, three weeks of playing time for the Egyptian Premier League. So just even more games that they have to make up later. Damn, man, that's crazy. Egypt's got a conundrum right now, a scheduling, <laughs> scheduling. conundrum right now that they need to figure out. I'm assuming al is just going to have a ton of midweek games in Egypt, and they're just going to have to reschedule them, them in like that. But I don't know. That actually might be worse off if they get really, really tired and they just have a ton of back-to-back weeks where it's two games a week. Yeah. I wonder how they deal with it, but if there is a team in Egypt mm-hmm. to deal with it, it is Al-Ali. And staying in Africa, I'd like to you know, kind of continue this train of wackiness that we got going mm. on, bro, because there's a lot of crazy leagues over there that are seeing some that are seeing some really tight races up top. And and in my opinion, I don't think I found any other African league that is as close and competitive as Nigeria's professional football league, man. We're talking about an eleven horse race right now, bro. Eleven, yeah. dude. Where the gap between first and eleventh place 
is only nine points. And if you want to make that a little tighter, if nine points is too much for you, we can make it tighter. Let's make it tighter. Three-point difference. Three points. There is a three-point difference between first place and sixth place in this league, dude. So, God damn. theoretically speaking, anybody can win it, man. Yeah. Anybody can win it. It really is like the Kentucky Derby. You can put your money on any horse, and you got a shot at winning here, bro. Yeah. This is a gambling man's preferred, favorite league right here because of the unpredictability it has. The defending champions in Yemba currently lead the table in first place with 39 points, but so many teams, bro, have a shot at it, and I want to name some of these teams because just like Algeria, there's some really uh, curious, curious names out here with Lobi Stars, Plateau United, Enungu Rangers, Remo Stars, Kano Pillars, Shooting Stars, man. The list does not stop. It's <laughs> yes, crazy. And, and I think it's kind of beautiful, man. I really do because... When you look at so many other leagues, like the one I just highlighted, Turkey, I mean, it's clearly dominated by two, mm. three different teams, but Nigeria actually has a lot of parity with it. When you look at the the teams that have been most successful so far, Nyimba has nine titles to their name, Rangers International has seven, Shooting Stars has five, Heartland FC has five, Kano Pillars has four, Dolphin has three. Damn. The list goes on, man. Like, There's actually a good amount of uh, success that's spread out around the country, and so I think that's really cool to highlight and really cool to notice and the winners the top two teams of this league end up qualifying for the calf champions league so nigeria was one of the teams that i thought perfectly fulfilled the prompt that was assigned this week with a really competitive title race happening in a much lesser known league there's a european equivalent as far as how many horses are still in contention for the title it's the polish league the extra classa has six teams all within six points of each other going for the title. 60% of the league has been played, so there's still a lot of football left. But six teams all within six points of each other. I don't think there's another European league that has that many teams Mm -hmm. still genuinely in the title race. But that's not what I'm here to talk about. Oh! (laughs) Not what I'm here to talk about. (laughs) I'm going to go south of Poland to a very small little country, Austria. Oh, I almost had them on my list. Yeah. I almost had them. But tell me. Tell me about Austria. The last 11 years has been dominated by Red Bull Salzburg. This should be no surprise to any football yeah. fan, though. Yeah. Constantly making Champions League appearances and sometimes, honestly, doing very, very well yeah. considering the amount, the budget that they have, the players that they have at their disposal. Salzburg is such a well-run club in Austria. But what's crazy, for the last two years, not including this one, the last two seasons, in second place has been Sturmgras. Okay. And they've been trying, man, trying to do the impossible and take down the mighty, mighty Red Bull Salzburg. There was like a what, like a 15-point gap two years ago, but last year they, they, they shortened it to okay. like maybe eight or nine. This year, right now... Tell me something good, man. It's a two-point gap. Okay. It is a two-point gap, but there's still like 10, maybe 12 games that to be played, are, right? Are they, are they two points up or two points behind? They're two points behind. God. Salzburg God. still have a lead, but it's only two points. Okay. And here's what's really interesting about Stormgras too is if you watch them play, 
they're actually playing really good football, man. Yeah. If you're a Sturmgras fan, like you got to be oh. really proud of the progress that this team has made over the last couple seasons. Because if you thought you were close a couple seasons ago, getting second place continuously, this is your best season right now. Mm-hmm. You were playing the best football that you've played. You just beat Slovan Bratislava in the Europa Conference League five to one on aggregate. Five to one. They now have a round of sixteen matchup to be played over the next couple beautiful, weeks. Beautiful. Sturmgras making a deep run in the conference league, beautiful to see. But once again, there's some really good players on this team. Some really, and some players that I would like to highlight, left midfielder slash left wing back, Alexander Bras, mm-hmm. Austrian. I believe he's like 22, maybe 23 years. So he's pretty young. Yes, yes, yes. Really technical player, very committed, very athletic. But what I, I just love his IQ. He's really smart on the ball and he plays a very silky type of play from like a, a wing back position. Okay, I like that. Really cool yeah. to see. And it's funny because when you look at the rest of the squad, they actually have some players on loan from huge teams. There's a Liverpool goalkeeper that's at Stormcross <laughs> right now. Uh, there's also an Atletico midfielder that's there. Oh, they interesting. Have, they have a Brighton uh, player. They have an Arsenal player as well. It, they've, so they've been very yeah. active in trying to build a really competitive team. Most of the players are, are their own, though. Good. And that's that where they really do shine. But yeah, a really exciting time for Sturmgrabs. It's going to be very, very difficult, obviously, because Salzburg just do not lose 11 straight titles. But if there is a team to do it, and if there is a time, it is now, and it is Sturmgrabs. The Red Bull Salzburg reign has been brutal. Brutal, man. Brutal, man. It has been a decade, if not more, of just a complete onslaught that this Red Bull Salzburg team has imposed upon the opposing sides and when you think about it man when you think about the warriors that went through austria when you think about the i mean just the killers out there erling holland at one Mm. point Mm. went in there got a trophy got out sadio mane at one point made an appearance got in got out sobo sly sobo sly brendan aronson was there too (laughs) he was he was (laughs) These great, great players went to Austria, signed for Red Red Bull Salzburg, and got what they wanted and left while the rest of these Austrian teams had to endure loss after loss after loss. The Red Bull Salzburg reign has been brutal, man. Brutal. And so I'm scared. I'm scared because when it comes to overthrowing an institution like Red Bull Salzburg, it's going to take a village. It's going to take a country to back this side that I can't even pronounce right now. It's just, you know, people know who I'm talking about. Yeah. What's the name? <laughs> Sturmgras. Okay, yeah. yeah it's going to take a village. It's going to take a country to support this team. But I think it's there. I think it's there. You, you got me really interested now. I'm going to watch these no, games. We, we all should. We should. Yeah. We should because this is massive for what it could mean for, you know, even Champions League uh, implications, man. Yeah. It'd be insane to see this team actually in the UCL instead of Red Bull Salzburg. <laughs> And what ultimately does make me happy about this is that we've highlighted in the past, and it's been a, an occurring narrative for myself, and I, I believe you agree with me on this too, that Austria's national team mm-hmm. is a team that's on the rise. So it's no surprise to me that we're seeing now more teams than just one you know, start to have a shot at the title here with you know, more competition and more better players being formed at the homegrown level that teams like the one that you just mentioned yeah. are bringing up and highlighting and you know using as actual pieces to contend for the title. I think this is great for Austrian football in general, for Red Bull Salzburg, Salzburg to actually have some competition. 
it's just a big thing that's at stake now with uh, Red Bull Salzburg potentially losing out on a title for the first time in 11 years. I'm just going to be so stoked if there's, hell, even eight games left in the season and it's within five points. I'll take that. I will take that. It's going to be really, really difficult. Austria employs a championship group where they take half the league and split it after a certain number of games. Sturmgras and Red Bull are already in that. Okay. And once that portion starts, that's when we're really going to see what Sturmgras is made of. This is it, though. If there is a team in Austria to dethrone Red Bull Salzburg, it is them. And I do like that point because Austria is on a bit of a rise, not not even just with the league, but with their players. Everyone's informed. They're all pretty young, either you know between the ages of 20, 24, or they're in their prime playing really good football all across Europe. And it's players like Alexander Pras who has just hit the scene, but it's because he's with a really good team that's not Red Bull Salzburg playing in Austria. It's really cool to see, and honestly, I expect a player like him to get called up very soon because he's playing really, really good football, and it just adds to the story that Sturmgras could have. What's crazy is that they actually won it somewhat recently before this dynasty that Salzburg mm-hmm. have created. Mm-hmm. They won it back like in 2011 or 2012. So it's been like a 12, maybe 13 year difference yes. since the last time that they won. But hey, you know, to bring it back, especially after what Salzburg have done, would just be immense for a club like Stonegrass. Damn, man. Damn, well, imagine what could happen. Imagine, yeah. man. Imagine. And staying on that theme of. Giants being overthrown after incredible winning streaks that they put on. I want to stay in that similar region, man, with Croatia. Ah, Let's go to Croatia. Let's go go to the Croatian Football League where we have a three-horse race in a league that does not utilize a championship playoff system. Mm. So, you know, the team with the most points wins outright. We got three teams. Rijeka with 50 points. Hajduk split with 49 and the famous and almighty Dinamo Zagreb with 47. So three-point difference between Whoa, first and okay. third. Yeah, that's tight. Here's the catch. Um, Zagreb has a game in hand. Oof. Right? So they win that game. They're tied with first place at 50 points. Mm-hmm. For context, Dinamo Zagreb is exactly what Red Bull Salzburg is to Austria. That's what they are for Croatia. Dinamo Zagreb has won 24 titles in their history. Anytime they don't win is a miracle, man, because they've won 17 of the last 18 domestic titles. And the only time they lost was to Rijeka in 2017, who is currently in first place. That was also the only time that Rijeka has ever won a title in their history. So we're talking about a huge disparity here between the most successful team and then everybody else. There's actually a a, a pie chart that uh, Wikipedia shows regarding this league about titles won. Dinamo Zagreb has won 75%. Three-fourths of the pie chart, bro, is filled by Dinamo Zagreb and the rest is fulfilled by the rest of the teams. Can you imagine... Buying a pizza, spreading that with 10 guys, and one guy's like, I'm taking three-fourths of this fucking pie, dude. (laughs) Three-fourths, and the rest of y'all got to share the rest, dude. Greedy, man. Greedy, Greedy. bro. Greedy, man. And that's what Dinamo Zagreb is to this league. Now, the question is, when does Dinamo Zagreb play against Rijeka? Because that could be a big, big big matchup. Mm. Well, the question has already been answered. They played this past weekend. They played this past weekend. Oh, Away okay. from home, Dinamo Zagreb went to Rijeka Stadium looking to get a result. With one minute left in additional time, 
Dinamo Zagreb got awarded a penalty to give them the lead 1-0. That makes sense. And the penalty call, personally, not that convincing. <sighs> not that convincing. Came down to a shove in the box where a player just completely falls to the ground. Damn. Yes, it was strong, but it wasn't like, you know, like he like he chopped him or like he just caught him off guard. It was a shove, which can be subjective, man. It can come down to the player's strengths and, you know, just being overpowered. Sometimes those center backs are just way more stronger yeah. than the wingers and the yeah. wingers take a hit. Like, I thought it was soft. How'd the players react? They actually reacted uh, pretty calmly as if they understood why they were really? being. Yeah, they were really? actually really understanding. So oh I, I feel like I'm the odd one out. The, co- the comments section were all in agreement with the penalty call. Surprisingly, I figured that oh, was just Zagreb. Zagreb. Zagreb fans. Come on. I mean, why, if you're a, in your Croatia, why wouldn't you be a Zagreb fan? They're, they've been that dominant, right? Yeah, I think <laughs> there's like a U21 coach in Croatia. Like he's doing the Croatia U21 team. And Zagreb played like Real Betis recently, something like that. Mm-hmm. And... He had played for Betis when he was a player. And he was like, I'm going for Betis just because, you know, I played for them. Yeah. He got fired. (laughs) (laughs) Holy shit. He got fired from the youth Croatian team. Oh, my God. Yeah. Wow. They were just like, they even put a statement. They're like, look, you can support any club you want in Croatia. That's not a problem here. But we have to support Croatian football first. And since his... Uh, ideology did not align yeah. with ours. We had to give him the sack. Holy shit, dude! <laughs> like that's like feeding his family, man. They they took that's that crazy, bro. man. They took him that's out. That's crazy. They took him out, but bro. I mean, I, I guess that is why the European footballing system is the best in the world. Yeah, very proud. And I, I, look, I low key get it a little bit. Yeah, I low key get it. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that 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 pride comes from being so dominant. And that's what yep. Dinamo Zagreb are and. If I had to submit a prediction, it probably is that Dinamo Zagreb ends up on top once again because, I mean, you just think about it. They got the refs on their side too, man. I don't, I don't want to be too loud about that, but <laughs> I think there is history here to be made for Rijeka and Hajduk split, but it's going to be so, so hard. It's there. It's there, but it's going to be really hard. Speaking about Rijeka and Dinamo Zagreb's ultimate dominance, this actually reminds me of what's going on in Switzerland. So thinking about that there? pie chart idea, mm-hmm. the last 20 odd years of the Swiss League has been only won by three clubs. Zurich, FC Basel, and Young Boys. Okay. They've shared the last 2021 titles in Switzerland. No other team has won it. Right now, Servette are four points off of Young Boys. The reason why I think there's something here is they just faced Young Boys this past weekend and they beat them. Oh, wow. So it was a seven-point gap. They've cut it to four. Yes. Similar to Austria, though, there is, I believe, a championship phase where they split the league in half, and then they will play each other once again. So those Servette-Youngboy matches that are still left to be played are going to be huge. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But it's just really big because, I mean, Switzerland hasn't really seen anything other than the main teams, the teams that have the big budget, the teams that always have the better players. Switzerland hasn't seen a team win it other than those teams. So... I think Servet are on to something. They were honestly in the second division, I believe, a year or two years ago. They've just recently gotten back to the first division. And right now, they're honestly in a title race. They're the only team that's close, by the way. Any other team behind them, it's even more points. So it is only Servet who can take down the mighty young boys. But that's it. That's all that's going on right now in Switzerland. Hopefully, there's something there. Four points is very doable. There's a lot of football left. But if Servet can even just make young boys sweat a little bit, yep. that'd be huge. It'd yep. be huge for Swiss football. You know, Narwar's from there. 
He's Swiss. He's Swiss. He's a, he's a human servette. Right, human serviette. That's his. That's, that's his. his that's his YouTube yeah. channel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> nah, boy. <laughs> aren't they? Dude, they're in the. Aren't they in the conference league right now? I think they they're are. In, they're, yeah, I think that's where I saw them first. They just beat. Um, yeah, they got a result, second. bro. Oh, they beat Ludo Goretz. Yeah, uh, one nil on aggregate. The first one was nil nil, and they got honestly kind of a lucky goal, but they took it well in the second match. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, they are also in the round of 16 in the U- UEFA Europa Conference League. Yeah. So they're like. It's a good team, man. That's what I'm saying is beyond what they're doing in the Swiss League, it's deserving. And they're also having a really good season in Europe. So watch out for this team. They are playing good football. Mm, okay. Tasty, tasty, man. Let me follow that up with my own pick here. This is my last low key pick. My last low key one. This is as low key as I guess. This is a. The, the best title race that I could find in terms of the lower leagues. We're talking about the 50th best league in Europe based off a of coefficient, man. Can you guess what league that is? Let me, I was best. just about to say. Give me two chances here. I'm going to say one, uh, Estonia. No. Okay. Uh, Liechtenstein. I'll give you one more. Uh, 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 um, Iceland? No, they're not playing yet. Um, mm-hmm. Luxembourg? Close, no. Close, but no cigar. Macedonia. Oh. Macedonia. <laughs> you just keep I'm going, trying, man. Macedonia first football league. We have a three-horse race with three points separating first place and third place. 20 out of 33 games completed in this league. This league has 12 teams, so it's kind of interesting their format. Each team plays the other sides three times. You know, whereas in the Prem, it's you play another team, you know, home and away right. twice. This is an odd number. It's three times. I found that very interesting. Leading the title race right now is Scoopy, 42 points, followed by FK Struga. 41 points, oh, and then okay. KF Shendija, Shen- huh. 39 points. I'm sorry, my Macedonians. I know I'm butchering it, but hey, at least I'm highlighting the league. FK Vardar is the most successful club with 11 titles here. 11 titles to their name. Okay. They're currently battling relegation, man. Oh, damn. Yeah. And that's they, yeah. I think that's big, bro, for like the stature of this league. Skupi, Rabotniki Skopje, and Shikindija are all second with four titles, all right? So there's a, there's a race for second place. Struga is the defending champion. And they're in third. They're in third. Okay. Or they're, they're in second. They're in second. They're in second. Okay. I'm working my way through this. The league was founded in 1992, so it's only 32 okay, years old. Okay, it's a yeah. young league. And it's just part of, you know, Macedonia's effort, North Macedonia's effort to get back into uh, prominence within the club and country. So it's a young league. It's working its way up. And what's dope is that, yes, if you win the league, you enter the UCL qualification. And so they actually have a shot to, you know, make a name for themselves in the biggest competitive tournament in the world. Yes, currently ranked the 50th best league in the world, but I mean, it would be massive if Scoopy could get their fifth trophy to, you know, stray away from those second place teams that are tied right now in terms of total titles and become the outright second place team in the title race right behind FK Vardar with 11. So there is a title race in North Macedonia, bro. Let's go to Belgium. Okay. Sticking in mid-tier European football above Macedonia, but you know, similar to Austria, I'd say Switzerland yeah. even, maybe a little, but above as of yeah. recent years because there's only one team to talk about here. And it's a team that you've heard the name of the last couple of years. That is Royal Union Saint-Gilois. Oh, yeah, man. They have an eight-point lead 
right now in the Belgium League. There's still a championship phase to be played at the end of the season. But the reason why I bring them up is they have not won a title since 1935. What? Uh, yeah. They were good last year, though, but they didn't win it, right? Uh, They've been great these last two seasons. What's crazy is they got promoted from the second division three years ago okay. into the Belgium top flight. In their first year, they went all the way and they lost the league like on the second or third to last match week. They went all the way. Mm-hmm. They nearly won the title. But I think it was maybe Antwerp or Club Bruges, you know, one of the bigger teams yeah. that ultimately stole it from them. I remember it was Toby Alderweireld. That was last that year. That was last year, right? Okay. Last year. So that was two years ago. They almost <laughs> won it two years ago. Okay. Last year, they go on another really good run. They maintained a lot of their players. And they also included some really good players too. Victor Boniface, for example. This is yes, last year. Yes, yes, yes. So... They maintain a really good level of football, remain top of the league once again, and they lose it literally in the last minutes yeah. of the league. It was the craziest ending to a league last year, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they were they had like a 1-0 lead or a 1-1, and then there was two stoppage time goals that they conceded to lose crazy, the league. Crazy, crazy. And because of that, they still remained winless from a trophy in Belgium since 1935. I know it was 35, man. I know. That's crazy. It's crazy. It's a 90-year drought for Saint-Gilbois. But what's crazy, man, is between 1903 and 1935, they mm-hmm. won 17 titles. Oh, shit. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Because of that crazy run, they actually have a, a tremendous amount. Mm-hmm. So they have a ridiculous history that's you know full of silverware, but... It gets really dark because they just teeter between second, third division Belgium for a long time. Um, past that. Yeah. And what's crazy is that we talk about Bayer Leverkusen having a 35 win streak right now. Yeah. At a time somewhere between 1903 and 1935, there was a period where they won, where they went 60 games unbeaten. Holy shit, man. Yeah. 60. 60. <laughs> 60. I don't know. Like, should I actually accept what you're telling me? No, right no, no. Go, go look it up. It's all crazy. Right, all right, all right. This is it's crazy. It's crazy. Bro. That's crazy. It's ridiculous. And so now, their third year trying here in 2024, they're trying to get it back, man. For sure. They're trying really hard. And the thing is, they have some really, really good players. I want to highlight Mohamed Amoura, Algerian forward, who's, you know, looking to get into the national team at, what, 23 years of Mm -hmm, age. mm -hmm. He's going off this season. He's popping off. There's a Swiss attacking midfielder, Cameron Puertas, who has also had a really good season for San Gilwa. So Boniface leaves the team, but they just they fill in the gaps, man. They fill in the gaps really well. So what a well-run club that they've been over the last couple of years. And the fact that they've been able to maintain such a high level of play for three straight years, remarkable. They went on a really... What the fuck is going on? <laughs> Jesus Christ. This is making me laugh. He's trying to, he's trying to spell Union St. Kilowice. Imagine trying to spell that, bro. It's impossible. <laughs> Just by ear. How do you spell Gilowice? You, you, uh, you have to know French. Uh, you have God to know French. God damn, right? Gilles. <laughs> producer Red, for those who don't know, Producer Red off screen is typing his ass off right now, looking for more information. And he doesn't know how to spell Union St. Gilloise. That's tough. I don't blame him, bro. I don't blame him. Union and then St. St. <laughs> and then, and then, then Gilloise. Yeah. Good Lord, man. Yeah, you found it. 
The Royal Union. That's a beautiful name. It really is. No, yeah, it really beautiful is. Name. Uh, but to just further explain how well they've been doing, obviously they went on a really good Europa League run. I believe what two, yeah, two yeah, years last year. year it was last yeah, year. Yeah. Exactly. Where they eventually lost out to Bayer Leverkusen. Mm-hmm. Mm. This year, not as strong, but they are in the round of sixteen of the conference league. They actually just beat uh Eintracht Frankfurt in the play in to get in the round of sixteen for the Damn. conference league. So once again having another stellar year in Europe for relatively, if you consider it, a pretty small club. Let's just be completely honest. So for Sancho Waz, this is immense and I'm just hoping they can finally get the the trophy. But do you know how they got to this? Like, how did they go from being, you know, such a lowly team for so long to now a contender for three years straight? Is it like an RB Leipzig type situation where they got a bunch of funding? Like, or is it just finding really good players and making a good cohesive team and being a part of a really good generation? That's a, yeah, honestly, great question. From what I could gather, there was like a huge chairman change, like in the mid 2010s. Okay. And apparently that. A, gave them a little bit more funds to work with, but I think it also changed just the the whole vibe at that club in general. They started to get way more active in the transfer market, not necessarily splashing the big bucks, but I think they just got better recruitment team essentially. And I think they just ultimately got really kind of like a Brighton or like a Brentford. They got really smart about a lot of their transfers and it has worked dividends for Mm -hmm. this club, man, because continually... Even with like a, a Boniface type of player leaving the club, they just fill him in with another really good player. Because uh, Mohamed Amura, who's having a really good season this year, he was playing at a mid-level team in Switzerland last yeah. year. They were able to have the scouting awareness to look at mid-table Switzerland, see who would fit their club, and it's worked beautifully. So I just think it's been really good signs for the last couple of years for Sanjo Waz. I'd like to see them sustain it, man. I'd like to see Club Bruges, Ghent... Genk all have this sort of new contender up top mm. that could potentially win the Belgian league because it's due, man. It's long overdue for them to win one. I hope they can close it out, man. You just never know with these things. This is when people start introducing talks of a curse if they don't, if they aren't Oof, able to do it once this again. Would be bad, man. So this is kind of a do or die type situation with how badly, yes. or rather, how unfortunate they've lost the league in past years. My last and final league is actually one that is right outside the top five. Many would actually argue it deserves to be in the top five. It's a league that very clearly has a big three attached to it. And that league is Portugal. Right. Portugal. We don't even got to talk about Liga Portugal. Yes, we do. Because of some things that I found out in the process of my research that I found to be very jarring, man. Sporting's not winning. Very jarring. The matchup is between Benfica and Sporting CP right now. It's Benfica at 58 points. Sporting CP on 56 points. FC Porto is out this run with 49 points. 11 games remaining. But what's crazy is that they played today. They played each other today in the cup tournament that they have going on. Oh, the yeah? Taca de Portugal. Okay. Did you see the result of that match? I actually did not. Sporting CP defeated Benfica 1-0 in this game. A very important result, in my opinion, because they are set to face off against each other on April 7th. The Sporting so CP big. has that confidence now. After defeating Benfica, I think it could carry over into the league. I'm not saying they're going to win it, but it's there if they want it. Benfica has won 38 titles in this league. They are the defending champions, whereas Sporting CP has won 19 titles, and they haven't won it since 2021, bro. A long three-year drought. <laughs> three years is how long Sporting CP has to go before contending for a title, man. And trying? This is, it's crazy to me because... 
I mean, the research was just jarring, bro. Only five teams have ever been crowned champions in Portugal. Oh, yeah. Five, bro. Yeah. In a league that has a 90-year history, five teams, well, you can count on one hand, have lifted the trophy. Three of those being the big three, FC Porto, Benfica, Sporting CP. They've won all but two titles in this league, dude. Mm-hmm. They share 88 titles in Portugal, and the two teams that won the title were Belenenses in 1946 Good Lord. and Boavista in 2001. Boa Vista won Boa Vista one? somehow won it. Not, oh not fucking, uh, what's the, what's the there's fourth Vitoria, best team? There's Vitoria, Guimarães, there's Braga. Not Braga. Braga. Yeah, not Braga, which is crazy. Boa Vista won it in 2001, and that's it, dude. That's crazy. And it won't happen again. It won't happen again because the big three are once again contending for the title. Very jarring, very scary. But yes, Benfica and Sporting CP going at it for the title this year. I want to see Sporting CP do it. I haven't seen them lift the title in a couple years. And Benfica, I mean, they win this thing all the time. So for that reason, I'm rooting for Sporting CP. And I will be keeping an eye on that April 7th match. Mark it on your calendars between the two best teams in Portugal this year. That'd be fun if Sporting are able to get like a one-point lead at that moment in time over Benfica. Because then we'd get to see if Sporting can can handle that type of pressure. Mm-hmm. So right now the pressure is on Benfica mm-hmm. with a little bit of a lead, but I, I don't know. I don't know if I trust Sporting with a small lead over against the, uh, against the rivals Benfica. Two Lisbon teams. That's gonna be a hell of a yeah, game oh, in April. It's gonna be it's a Lisbon huge. Derby, Lisbon right. Derby. Yeah, it's gonna be nuts. Wow. Yeah, you're right. All right, let's go. Let's go to England. But not the Premier League. (laughs) (laughs) I want to talk about the championship. Right now, Leicester topped the table there, looking to get immediately back into the Premier League. But tied for second place, which is also an automatic promotion to the Prem, is Ipswich Town. A team that has not seen the Premier League. Yes, yes, yes. In like 21 years. I believe 2002 was the last time that they were in the Prem. But... I just want to make note of this because personally, I get tired of seeing the same five teams bounce back and forth between first and second division. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, I'm not even pointing out the Prem because this happens all around Europe, you know, especially like in Spain and Italy and Germany. Germany, not so much actually, but definitely Spain and Italy. It's pretty much the same five, six, seven teams that go back and forth between the first and second division. And so I love it when a team really puts themselves out there that is not used to being that high up in the second division. Ipswich Town is that team this season. They have some really exciting players. A couple of them on loan, actually, from bigger Premier League teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jamaican Hutchinson, who's on loan from Chelsea, balling out right now. But then you have really good players like Broadston and uh, Connor Chaplin scoring a lot of goals for Ipswich. Just keeping my eye on the last okay. couple months to see okay. how good their football really is. It's pretty good. I mean, for the most part, when they play against the championship side, if it's not like in the top four, they pretty much dominate the matches. So it's really promising because what I'm saying is their position right now on the table, I don't think is a fluke. They're actually yeah, yeah, genuinely good football club right yeah. now in the championship. Unfortunately, though, the, the league is so long. There's 46 games. Yeah. 46 yeah. games in a grueling season. So they still have like, what, 15 games 12, left? 12, Maybe even 12? They're on 12? 34. They're on okay. 34. Thank so, God. Yeah. 12 games left, a lot left, but looking really good and very promising for them to... If they don't get an automatic spot, at least they'll be high up in the playoff oh, ranking sure. to you know maybe win the final to get that for third sure. spot for the Prem. But uh, what's crazy about Ipswich Town is they have an insane history, very similar to Saint-Gilois. 
in the sense that they won the Prem, Premier League, like the top division in England, back like in 1962. Okay. They actually have a okay. top division title. And what's crazy is the year they won it was their year that they also got promoted to that top division. They oh, won their first try. shit, wow. Yeah. Oh my God. Crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. Not only that, they're the only British team to be unbeaten in European competitions at home. Okay, so they were in the Champions League. Yeah, in the between like the sixties and seventies, they won their home games. Yes, with like no, like zero doubt, they won the games. They, if they lost, it happened away from home. If they lost, That's insane. It happened away from home, and the, it's. But did they compete in enough European matches for that to be impressive? Thirty-one. Whoa! Thirty-one matches unbeaten. I think it's like twenty-five wins, six draws at home, zero okay, losses. That's impressive. That's it's impressive. pretty crazy. And when you look at some of the teams that went to Ipswich's yeah. uh, field, it's like AC Milan, Inter Milan, wow. Barcelona, Madrid. And that was like the seventies. where You could bring a gun on the pitch. If you, wanted, <laughs> you, you could do end it. that streak early. Smoke cigarettes out on the pitch too if you wanted to, man. It was pretty crazy. And they actually won what is the equivalent of the Europa League. Okay. They nice. actually won and got European silverware during Interesting. that big time for Ipswich. Interesting. So it's been a long time since they've seen any real success. They were actually in, I think, the fourth division like twenty, like maybe 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. They were in the third division last year. Oh, okay. So they just got promotion to the championship this year, and now they're immediately looking for another promotion to the Premier. It would be nuts if they're able to pull it off in any fashion. I mean, the more you speak about them, bro, the the more the loss is going to bear on me when they don't qualify, bro. Because there's a very real reality here. Oh, come on, yeah. Of Leicester, Leeds, and Southampton getting through. Absolutely. It's very real, bro. Absolutely. I know. I agree. It's not a fluke. I'm looking at the table right now. They're tied in second with Leeds. 70 points, bro. 72 points. 21 wins. They've lost the least amount of games in the entire championship. Leicester has lost six. Ipswich has lost only four, bro. So... Like, it is real. I just think that, uh, you know, England, especially the championship, can be very chaotic. Absolutely. It can be very, it can be brutal. We've tried to run it through on FIFA, and we went through a lot just <laughs> doing that. So I, I think it's a lot, but it's, it's there, and history is waiting to be made. If, if Switch Town pulls off the the incredible here, and, and it really could be that, man, so... I guess I'll be tuning into Ipswich games, man. I'm going to definitely, man. I just okay. need to see if they can actually pull this off. It, it's rare nowadays. It'd be crazy, though, if, like... It ends up being like West Brom or Hull. That's what I'm saying. Or, you know, like yeah. that just gets through over Ipswich, man. That's why I don't. That's what I don't want to see. That's why I'm highlighting Ipswich because I'm just praying that they're different. That they're yeah. a different club in the championship. Derby County, I think, had a run a couple years mm-hmm. ago, and I was like, maybe they could do it. They couldn't. Maybe Ipswich is different. So staying in England, we have to highlight what is the best title race in all of the world. It deserves a few minutes of discussion. Ah, okay, yeah, let's do it. Which is at the end of the day, at the end of our journey, of the trek we've been on, looking country to country, finding the best title races, the one thing that is missing is the true weight of you know quality, of stakes, of the top heavyweight yeah. teams going at it toe-to-toe. We are being gifted an incredible Premier League season, man, with three teams contending for a title in Liverpool, Manchester City, and Arsenal. It deserves to be highlighted, man. What a crazy experience we've had watching this league so far. Three-point difference, Liverpool on 60, Man City on 59, Arsenal on 58. I cannot believe we are in this situation that the whole world gets to experience it, bro, because this could shape out to be one of the best title races 
that we've ever seen in modern football, especially if it continues, bro. So the, the stakes are incredibly high. The quality of these teams is just incredible. And the journey that awaits us these next couple of months watching these teams week in, week out, I think is going to be, like you mentioned before, incredibly terrifying, but also an absolute joy to watch. Yeah, I mean, I think we talked about it in our last episode. The Premier League is giving me nightmares as well as extreme excitement as to what's to come because, you know, pundits, us, influencers, whatever you want to call it, we can say what we think is going to happen, but this might truly be the craziest ending to a Premier League season that we've seen in the last, like, what, 20 years? Mm -hmm. And we've seen some crazy, crazy endings, man. I just can't believe that given going into the season there was hype for liverpool and there was also hope for arsenal but they've actually pulled it off yeah. the hype that liverpool had going into the season basically revamping their entire midfield maintaining a really good offensive line hoping that darden nunez would be better and then seeing it all pan out actually work mohamed salah is back mm-hmm. as well there's so much going on for liverpool and it's why they're here and then for arsenal Last season wasn't a fluke. I know a lot of people said that they were a bottle job, but ultimately, I just we, we never saw it that way. And I think they've maintained an incredibly high level of football play. And it's the reason why they're still there right now. And then, of course, Manchester City, arguably one of the best Premier League sides ever. And they will be if they win it this year. That's all they have to do, cement themselves in history. They will create a dynasty that might not ever be repeated four Premier League titles in a row if they pull it off this year. That's what's at stake. That's crazy. There's so much at stake here in the Premier League. So, yeah, honestly, outside of the UEFA Champions League, there's really not other European leagues that I'm going to be looking at week in, week out like I will be with the Premier League. Yeah, the narratives are ridiculous. Like you mentioned, Manchester City pursuing greatness here, pursuing Hall of Fame moments, and Pep Guardiola just adding to his legacy and adding to this Man City (laughs) dynasty that we've been seeing. Arteta and Arsenal, the incredible project they've had. They could have flamed out like Aston Villa at one point, man, but they've continued to remain as a prominent team in this league. The way of style that they've been playing, and most crazy, they haven't won it in 20 years, bro. Yeah. So that same narrative that Liverpool had attached to them leading up to their title in 2018-2019, it's there for Arsenal now, man. Two decades without winning a title for a team of this stature, that's this recognizable mm. around the world, so popular, so well-renowned, not winning their domestic title, their domestic trophy in 20 years is a long time. This is their chance. This is their chance after a season where they almost had it. They had it in their fingertips, but then they lost it. They slipped it. Yeah. And lastly, Liverpool, man, with Jurgen Klopp and that entire narrative of one of the greatest coaches that has ever managed the game of football announcing that he will be leaving at the end of the season. How does that impact the players, the emotions of the fans, the stadium, the entire community around Liverpool wanting to see Jurgen Klopp leave just on Mount Everest at the very top with two domestic titles during the Pep Guardiola era? I think would just be incredible, bro. It'd be one of the craziest achievements ever seen. And it would just add to, just like how we mentioned, Pep Guardiola Guardiola having his own dynasty. It would add to Liverpool's dynasty, man. And it would just cement it as one of the greatest generations of teams that we've ever seen. So the narratives are insane, dude. Narratives (laughs) are insane because of the quality of the coaches, the quality of the players. And the way this thing is panning out, it's going to be incredible. But folks, I want to know. 
What leagues do we miss out on? What leagues out there are really, really competitive, really, really tight that you're keeping an eye on that you want the rest of the Give and Go community to know about? We hope that you enjoyed our analysis, our research, and our teams and leagues that we brought up. But for sure, let us know your thoughts and what you think about the closest title races happening in the world of football. Until next time, guys. Peace. Thank you.